and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today, I have Jara. Kapla. And Grace. Hell yeah. Grace says stuff. We have a very special episode for you today. We are joined later by Mary Chifo to discuss her work in Star Trek Discovery and Laurel and lots of other stuff. But first, we do our typical housekeeping. As you know, our podcast is supported entirely by our patrons on Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to exclusive bonus rewards like uh, audio tracks that we don't release to the public, uh, uh, exclusive watch along commentaries and early release of episodes and other awesome goodness. So check it out on patreon.com slash women at warp. And if you're able to um, help support our show, we really, really appreciate it. Another way that you can help support our show is by helping us uh, get more uh, awareness and new listeners in your podcast listener, whether that's Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a rating or review and it helps helps more people find our show. And you heard it here first. We are introducing a new tier on Patreon. Uh, if you pay attention to our social media feeds, you may have seen our April Fool's joke where we asked for some comments for our episode on CJ Craig from the West Wing. Well, we got enough comments telling us that people wished that were real, that it's gonna be real. So at the new Patreon level, we uh, bi-monthly will be doing podcast episodes on non-Trek topics. So head on over to Patreon and check out our new tier. Ginger, get the popcorn. <laughs> and it is super short notice. We mentioned it on the last show. But at the end of this week... Uh, April 26th to 28th, Jarrah and I will both be in Washington, D.C. at AwesomeCon. So let us know if you'll be there, too, and come say hi. We'll be posting the details of our times and places for our panels on our social media. So check that out at uh, Facebook.com slash Women at Warp or on Twitter at Women at Warp or Instagram at Women at Warp. <laughs> and that is, frankly, quite enough of us talking without Mary. So let's head over to our interview. Mary, thank you so much for being here. Um, we're super excited to talk to you. And I want to start off with a probably the most general of our questions we have, which is that we know you and your castmates all seemed to deep dive into over 50 years of Star Trek canon while working on season one. And so what were some of your favorite story elements, characters, or episodes uh, that came out of the Trek franchises? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I love that question because that was definitely a huge goal of mine was to, I love research. And so to be able to have a franchise that is so fleshed out, I mean, I could do as much research as I would do if I were working on a Shakespeare play. So um, I did watch all of the Klingon-centric episodes uh, from every iteration of the show. I decided in chronological order, um, when it came to actual the chronology of of the universe as opposed to the um when they were made if that makes sense. um and i had you know uh, some you know vague ideas and i had seen the uh, original and the reboot films but that was my general knowledge up until i was cast in the role so i really did this really fun deep dive into 
all the Klingon lore and then fell in love with so many different um, characters and all of the different crews. Uh, but I will say that um, I really fell into Deep Space Nine pretty, pretty intensely. Yes. Uh, I actually so much so that by the last few seasons, because I was trying just for time's sake, because I just, you know, I didn't have the hours in the day to watch every single episode ever, but that would be the, the real mm -hmm. goal. Um, but um, by the time I was really getting into the Deep Space Nine Klingon episodes, which obviously there are a lot of, um, I was really peripherally seeing all this other plot starting to happen with the war and everything. So by the end, I was just watching the whole <laughs> show. <laughs> the last few seasons, I was like, well, what's going to happen? Uh, <laughs> it's intense yeah. stuff. You get pulled exactly, in. Exactly, yeah. So, so that was really um, where, I, where I lost myself and I fell in love with, you know, in particular, uh, the female characters on that show, which I feel are really... Um, uniquely fleshed out and differently fleshed out you know Dax and Kira are two distinct characters that have wonderful flaws and strengths and uh you know there I did get to see a lot of Dax in regards to a lot of the Klingon storyline that ends up happening on that show um so though that was that was really where um, I got really in, entrenched in it and when it came to me watching it I was, that was when I, we were really about to start rehearsals and production for the first season. So I was like up in Toronto watching Deep Space Nine, getting ready to go in there. So that's, that will always have a very, very special place in my heart, that show. That's awesome. And when you were watching through the Klingon stories, were there any of the, the Klingon-centric episodes you used to help influence and inform Laurel? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, from Deep Space Nine, my girl Grilka yes. is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Um, I really did love her just uh, strength um, as a character and her, you know, sense of humor as well. I think it's, it's always really great um, to see these very archetypal, strong women dealing with somewhat humorous, strange situations like having to deal with Quark. Um, and the two episodes that uh, she appears in are just two of my favorites. Uh, and I also then, in paralleling Laurel's journey, I don't know if it's, it was, it's really a lot of the stuff that ended up happening with her journey is kind of a chicken or the egg thing, or I think it was more just like in the ether, but her, Groka's struggle with not being able to um, ascend to her own husband's house because she's a woman uh, ended up really paralleling a lot of Laurel's journey and made me realize um, at the time, as I was just beginning to flesh the character out, why she would be a battle deck commander who didn't see herself um, as someone who could be in the, in the forefront, that she had to work from the shadows and she had to manipulate in a certain way. And it was just the, the, one of the strongest indicators to me of what a patriarchal species uh, the Klingons were. Uh, and uh, so, so that, that will always be those, those, those episodes in that character will definitely be a, a real strong, strong reference point for me. Now, are there any aspects of Klingon culture that you've seen that you'd specifically like to see explored more? Yes, I really, um, it's referenced a few times. Um, just the, they are known as this warrior race, obviously, but it's they still have a fully fleshed society and it's just what you don't 
I'm interested in all the aspects that are referenced and not maybe fully seen. Um, and then specifically, you know, in conjunction with that, like the matriarchs of Mokai, I just would really love to see more of what that culture really um, is like, you know, that within this very, very strong masculine culture, you have um, these women uh, working from the sidelines. Um, so all the, all the contradictory aspects of the culture um, that I think, you know, we definitely um, tried to flesh that out more uh, in Discovery. Um, but for, you know, it's when there are so many amazing plots to explore, it's hard to get all of them. And so I would just really love, you know, some way to, to look more into um, what, how the Klingons function when they're not fully, fully in battle. Which we, yeah, again, we, we've gotten a little bit of. Yeah. But like, for example, I always want to know, what does a day look like in the life of a Klingon scientist? Totally. <laughs> Who's making all that elaborate battle armor? Do they have a fashion industry there? I mean, they they clearly have a fashion industry if you saw your last episode, because that dress was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I know. I really, I did love that dress. And uh, yeah, Gersha Phillips and her whole team have just done, you know, incredible work this season on, on my clothes and everyone's. But I... We do joke about that because I do have people like strapping me in and like, you know, my lava cape, as I call it in episode three at the beginning, the molten lava. Like I couldn't, I had to go up to the platform and then they had to place it on me um, before the scene began. And I'm just, I, we were joking that maybe I have like these random, like, like what kind of alien servants has like Laurel employed <laughs> to, like, <laughs> to keep keep her you know all all done up all the time but that's i guess one of that's another aspect of klingon culture that would be fun to explore the the designers yes <laughs> the entourage culture that there's yeah. got to be there <laughs> nice well um going a bit a little a little bit more specifically to laurel um we've seen her really reinvent herself and adapt over and over and what would you say, though, are some of her really central, unchanging characteristics? And how does she go about expressing them? I love that question, because that has been, yes, with a character who both when it comes to how the audience perceives her, how she genuinely changes um, physically, emotionally, there, there's so much that has been different almost on an episode to episode basis. Um, the things that have really kept her... Um, anchored in me have been her heart really truly um i always say that my characters are have my heart and soul but then they're shaped by external circumstances that are different from mine and so with laurel that's obviously taking it to a 11 as it were when it comes to both uh, all sorts of external circumstances shaping her um, but when i do really look back plot wise at the choices that she makes i think you ultimately see that all of them are for the greater good that she believes to be the greater good. And ultimately her heart does win her empathy. I should say like heart is maybe more of a, a little too general, but I think her ability to grow and learn that um, at the beginning of the first season, she had pretty much no exposure to human beings, but obviously 
I think, you know, her interactions with Cornwell really shape so much of who uh, she um, becomes and how she's able to then make the choice to save Ash Tyler as his own entity um, because she's able to realize that the humans have a greater capacity um, for, for life than she was led to believe. And time and time again, I think her willingness to make choices like that um, are, 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 are pretty, pretty solid, pretty consistent, even if um, they're heartbreaking. If anything, she leads with her heart, but she always gets heartbroken. <laughs> <laughs> now, Laurel is definitely a complicated character. Do you find yourself having to defend her at all for being seen as unlikable or too complicated? Absolutely. I really think, well, it, it's, um, first season was one thing because I was, you know, I literally could not articulate her true journey until much later in the show. So for a bulk of the time, the audiences were being led to believe that she was a torturer, rapist. Um, and I did not care for that because I knew that was not her truth. Um, and um, I'm obviously very sensitive to that topic, um, particularly in regards to sexual assault. And I did not want um, people to, well, the thing that has been uh, trickiest, I think, is that I think there are people that still believe that that was what transpired between Laurel and Tyler and that they weren't uh, misconstrued memories between the two of them. And I think that, you know, perhaps there could have been even more of a conversation between the two of them or more of a visual clarity um, that could have, you know, helped that. Um, but that has been certainly something that I have been acutely aware of and something that I, um, you know, want to be able to speak on um, because at the end of the day, the way I see that story is that it was, it came from a genuine place of love and then the experiment went terribly, terribly wrong, essentially, which is ultimately hearkening back to why she makes the choice to save Ash Tyler. She realizes that that is not what um, she had intended. She had seen the Tyler persona as this shell um, that would easily be alleviated. And she has to come to, come to terms with the fact that um, humanity has far more integrity uh, than she realized. And so that, I mean, this is, the, and I'm trying to do like the Sparknote version of how I feel about all of this because <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't just during the time, during the first season when um, so much of that, I, I could not speak to it. Like I was not allowed to because that would give away a huge plot point. Um, I just had to do writing for myself, you know, just to get it out, get the thoughts out and, and why I was committed to this character because you know it's it's really f fun to play a character who is more um easily likable uh who's you know whose actions are straightforward and while they can be like quirky and flawed this is a, this is an element it it harkens back to the archetypes of of greek mythology and and shakespeare and you know it's something that we still obviously as a culture really gravitate towards you look at every franchise you look at, I mean, Game of Thrones, you look at these um, very intense storytelling where people are making all sorts of very, <laughs> very uh, um, debatable decisions in order to maintain power or whatever it is. And uh, 
so that was really what I had to lean into when it came to being at peace with who the character was within the story, was that part of my feminist contribution was to give life to a character who would spark debate. And I've also spoken to the fact that there's a certain reverse beauty and the beast archetype going on. And I think it's always helpful to uh, reverse an archetype because then it allows you to view it in a new way. It, it allows you to maybe reevaluate, oh, why are we, why have we kind of celebrated this sort of beast beauty? You know, why, why do we come back to that time and time again? So it's my very long winded answer. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good answer. Well, this wasn't on our list, but it made me that your answer made me think, you know, you you and your cast are the first ones to be active on social media, to have social media while the show is airing. So what mm-hmm. was it like when the fan base was dealing with, you know, misconceptions, shall we say, of Laurel's character? What was it like for you being active on social media? Yeah, sometimes I think I'm a little too active. <laughs> like, I'll do the dive. I will I will go in and find the one person who like really hates something that I did and like the character. Luckily, what has been like at least gratifying as a as a actor is that I find that people are taking issue with the character and the story and you know that it's they're not even thinking about the actor behind it and that's really the goal especially with such an extreme character is that like I don't want people thinking about well, you know, Mary Chifo is da da da. It's like who is Laurel? So the fact that the, the the comments I were seeing were more about who she was in the story was was strangely gratifying. But also, still, as someone who like feels very passionately about her story, um, I I you know. But it's like that self that self uh, not self. Well, I guess self sabotage. It's it's um you know self flagellation. Like I pursued it, mm-hmm. so that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, Certainly, I will say that the thing that I was most sensitive to during that first season uh, was seeing, you know, people who have legitimate, you know, experiences, um, traumatic experiences, sexual assault. Like, that's something, as I said before, is I'm extremely, extremely um, sensitive to. And so I was in this place where I couldn't even reply to things or be like, you know, because then it would, then the PR team would be like, Hey, (laughs) you're giving away. So that was, that was a good, like, I guess month or so, or even more where, um, that's why I did my own personal writing in hopes that, you know, and as we are now, it's like, I am able to talk about it in, in retrospect. Um, but then at the same time, you know, there's been so much celebration and so much excitement and anytime, you know, something you do elicits conversation that is exciting you know we could easily be just throwing something out there and no one would respond so the fact that there's so much interaction and and the trek community is so strong and so unbelievable i mean it's been so thrilling for me to to be a part of it and to witness it and to see all of you the 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 friendships that you have both on the internet and then at the conventions and how those intertwine I mean, it's, I think we've all really, really enjoyed that element of it. That's super cool. Yeah. 
Um, I was wondering, and another thing, I mean, there's always been some challenging um, makeup and prosthetics and costuming in Star Trek, but I feel like um, certainly we've seen it taken to a new level and, you know, with Discovery being in one of the first Treks that's in HD, um, getting to, you know, take part in that. How has that been as an experience? Um, and um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious what it's like and whether you think that, you know, women in the industry respond to this uh, differently than men yeah I I do it's been an incredible I mean first time experience for me I had never particularly envisioned myself doing uh prosthetic acting but then when I realized what it required I realized that it actually a lot of my training kind of did lead to that and and being an alien specifically with another language I was kind of like oh I'm actually getting to throw myself 150 percent into this character in a way that um, is totally suited to what I'm capable of. And I am, I, I do, I am proud of the fact that I have a high tolerance for pain. Um, not that, not that it's acute pain, but you know, I have a, a strong sense of stamina when I'm determined. Um, and I did observe uh, and have heard from others, both people that had worked on other shows with prosthetics um, in general is that women do tend to be more tolerant of uh, extreme situations. That, uh, basically, women and Doug Jones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Doug Jones is, you know, I mean, he is the unicorn that, I mean, the fact that I got to go through all of this with him um, by my side in the, in the trailer and, and getting coffee with me and talking about his experiences is just such a gift. Um, but... I, I did hear, you know, from, from uh, you know, someone else working on the show that they had worked on another project and there was some big other crazy armor thing. And there was like, it was like all these men and one woman and she was n- n- the one who never complained. And <laughs> there, apparently there was more vocalization from the male counterpart. Uh, and uh, there was, uh, you know, I, I guess it was, what was it? Uh, last year with Ant-Man and the Wasp when Evangeline Lilly had that, there was that great clip of her talking about how the men were like, oh, be careful, you know, those suits, they're really gonna, and then she got it, she's like, it's not that bad. And then she realized, you know, she lifted up her heel in that interview and was like, oh, right, because I'm used to <laughs> tolerating pain. And I do think, and I, I uh, there was one great moment in the makeup trailer uh, between me and, and Sonequa, actually, this past year, uh, filming 12 actually. And, uh, I had gotten, I, I was trying to have a relaxing day. Good luck there. Uh, and <laughs> I, uh, we were, it was a later call for me and I was like, you know what? I'm going to work out. I'm going to take a nice hot bath. And I took a nice hot bath and then I got water in my ear and then I got an ear infection. <laughs> I have like very, very sensitive ears and like small ear canals or something I've been told. But, <laughs> so, so, but I, but I'm like, well, I still have to show up and I'm like, well, it's not, it's not going to be, it wasn't a big scene. It was, it was going to be okay. Uh, but I show up and I'm in the trailer getting my hair braided and she's there getting ready for some other scene. And she's like, how are you? I'm like, well, kind of just gave myself an ear infection. <laughs> and, <laughs> And uh, she's like, oh, but you okay? I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll push through and all that stuff. And she's like, yeah, that is something. You know, we do, we do have a, a capacity to endure. <laughs> and I was like, we do, don't we? And, you know, just I think about all the things, you know, with certainly, you know, Sonequa as well. She's not covered in prosthetics, but 
just all of the tasks that she is constantly asked to do on a daily basis on the show and just like falling over things and flipping over things and shooting things and then tons of dialogue like if you allow yourself to um, complain and see how it's frustrating because you know no none of the outfits on the show are necessarily like you know uh, bathrobes except for when when they do are actually wearing bathrobes but like (laughs) the the few times that we see them in their quarters but um I think that you know if you're determined if you see the purpose and you're willing to work with um, extreme circumstances it's only going to benefit everyone in the end so I am really proud of the fact that that's certainly what I've embodied with Laurel is being in service of the larger story and that comes from Sinequa down I mean that's always been what she's um, articulated to all of us as an ensemble is that we're here to serve this larger story. And we're all like, I joke too. It's like, I wouldn't want the techno babble that, you know, she or Anthony have to spew every week. And they're like, I'm glad I'm not covered in rubber having to speak a different language. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so I think we all as a cast, and that is the gift of this cast is across the board is everyone's really willing to uh, go that extra mile and make sacrifices. Well, in this season, early on in Point of Light, you were not only in all of those prosthetics, but you had an epic fight scene in mm-hmm. a gown. <laughs> what was what was preparation I, like for that? What was filming that? Yeah, um, that was that was. I mean, it was very very challenging, but ultimately an utter delight. Uh, <laughs> uh, I. Um, the quote I've been saying is, you know, Ginger Rogers always said she did everything backwards in heels. And I say backwards in yes. heels with prosthetics and two swords, <laughs> um, uh, two <laughs> chancellor swords that were designed specifically as like the, the swords of the chancellor, which I was like, yes, thank you, Mario, <laughs> our prop designer. That's cool. Um, that was a, an interesting process because the nature of TV is, you know, obviously we're aiming for this cinematic um film level of of presentation but we are we do not have the time that a film would have to rehearse a fight sequence like that so um we learned that entire sequence um uh, we had a six-hour rehearsal on tuesday uh and this was the last week of filming we filmed over the span of three weeks for that episode um uh, film uh, so yeah rehearsed on tuesday and then filmed the whole thing on friday and uh i also happened to uh wake up congested on that monday so that was fun uh, <laughs> oh, no. it, was one of the, it was it was right because it was may and so it was like right as all the pollen was oh, coming no. out and this <laughs> we're proving that i apparently as tough as i am apparently i'm quite sensitive when it comes to ear infections and and sinus (laughs) infections but uh (laughs) it's the little things my achilles heel um but yeah i woke up and so i think it was like a and you know there's always something going around set so i think it was just a mixture but anyway obviously powered through once again the capacity to endure uh ate a lot of spicy food and just did every possible both like homeopathic and more you know sciencey medicine like just anything to clear it out um but we rehearsed, yeah, um, the whole sequence. And the way you rehearse it is, obviously, I'm not in the full prosthetic, but we, I did have, like, a mock-up of the dress uh, shape. And Gersha did specifically design 
all of my dresses, well, except for the one when I make the speech in front of the high council, but to have this slit on the side so that I could actually move in them. Cause I've got like these leather pants on underneath. Um, and so, and then in the heels. Um, so I rehearsed for those six hours and cleared out my sinuses quite a bit. <laughs> and then we had, um, that next day, Wednesday, we filmed everything uh, before and after the fight sequence in, in the garden. So um, leading up to the fight, then we went to the end uh, and when Giorgio and all of that stuff. Um, so, um, and the, but then Friday came and that was eight hours. I mean, it was the full morning up until lunchtime. And they did design uh, a... Um, a a fight dress basically so the material was a little bit more malleable i wish i knew what that material is they told me at the time (laughs) but more malleable and even my necklace which is really cool because that necklace is like a legit like they had some jeweler come from europe and like it was like so really awesome but very heavy and so for the fight sequence they actually designed one that looked like it but was like rubber um which I was very impressed with. <laughs> um, so we filmed that. And I will say that, <laughs> this, okay, I'm going to just tell this anecdote because I feel very close to you all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so I really do um, like to do as many, if not all of my stunts as possible, unless it's something utterly dangerous that you know a trained professional should be doing. Um, and that was true in the first season. Um, I love my scent double. She's incredible, but I have such a, you know, strong uh, sense of how Laurel moves. It'd be one thing if I were playing a human, but she has such an alien quality of, and a fluidity that I really have worked on a, a serpentine sort of feline thing. Like I just feel very, very, um, attached to how she moves. And that was the same too when we filmed the um, the sex scene in the first season was they offered to have a double. And I said, you know, it's already such an extreme thing. I'll only feel comfortable if I if I embody it because at least I know that I, I know what my intention was. And like, you know, still it's how they cut it and how they film it. But at least as the actor, I wanted to give as much as I possibly could in that regard. So smash cut to... Um, filming this fight sequence um i'm doing it all and we're going through and they started with the wide stuff and you know it's it's difficult because you're covered in rubber oh and the ash the ash falling from the sky that was fun Mm. it was like one of those things where it's like backwards in heels with two swords and you've got rubber hands and there's cobblestone and then oh yeah it rains ash on chronos (laughs) (laughs) um but still fun and like just going for it. And then there was one shot where it was really just on Shazad. Um, and so they said like, Hey, can you um, sub in the double? And I started crying because <laughs> I was like, Oh, well, oh, oh, okay. That's fine. It's, it's, it, you go, go ahead. That's, you know, and they're like, no, no, it's not you. It's just, it's like very far away. And here I am like covered in bloody sore, like just like looking like a Klingon. And I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I'll just step on the side. And they're like, for one take, Mary, you're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're saving your energy for the next eight hours of filming. Like, you know, <laughs> so, uh, I am just very clearly invested in my character. And, 
but I will say other than that, um, both Shazad and I did all of our, our stunts and he too, you know, we like, we like to do it. It's it, when you, when you get the, the choreography of it, cause it really is a dance ultimately. And, um, it, it's really fun when you get in the flow of it. And luckily, um, you know, we have good, um, Moises was, um, the main fighting partner I had and he was super great. We really would practice things, you know, slow, medium, fast. And, you know, they're, 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 they're good at respecting, um, everyone's time and space. Um, but it was a lot. And the, and then the, and the, the real punchline is that, so we finished all of that and then we did film a little bit more of the stuff at the end when Giorgio comes in, uh, and, you know, kills all the, um, everybody, <laughs> uh, <laughs> everybody, uh, and of course Michelle Yeoh, literal legend, <laughs> you know, comes in <laughs> and is like, "Oh yeah, looks good, guys." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> like, <laughs> and and she also in like the the five things she has to do where she just like walks on, picks up those like two different things and shoots stuff. I mean, looks like the most badass person in the world. And here I am like eight hours later after my giant sequence, but it was a good day. And it was our last day of filming. So it was very much like a go hard or go home situation. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and you can like, you can tell that there was, there's always so much attention to detail in all aspects of discovery. And that's part of what I've found so impressive. I remember seeing you on a panel before the show started talking about like the Klingon language coaching mm -hmm. and parsing the, the Klingon language. And it was really, really cool. Um, you know, from that to like, how does a Klingon baby head look? <laughs> um, but, <laughs> um, and so I was curious about, um, you know, in the in the most recent episode, uh, Through the Valley of Shadows, we um, caught a bit more of a glimpse into Laurel's relationship, both with Tyler, but also her um, role as a mother and um, who's, you know, given up her child. And um, I guess I'm just wondering um, how you went about uh, preparing for that and how you feel that um, her relationship with, with Tyler has evolved since season mm -hmm. one. Yeah, I really, it's, it was so, you know, filming it, obviously you get a sense of, of what it's going to be, but watching it this past week along with everybody else, it's really interesting to see um, how much Laurel has, uh, she's grown into herself in a lot of ways. Um, and what's, I think, part of the heartbreaking part of her story is that while she has assumed greater power on a political level, um, she has had to, she's, you know, it's very Queen Elizabeth. She, Queen Elizabeth I, that she has not um, closed herself off, but she is having to embody a much stricter sort of way of being in order to maintain um her her empire you know that ending with you may call me mother it's an incredibly fierce moment um but in a lot of ways mm. the the mother archetype is not um is not the archetype that she had been embodying up until that point in the first season she was far more of this you know there was a grittiness she was a commander she was a captain she was um just fighting the fight there was a an, an animalistic quality 
to how she had to go about things. Um, and, you know, this season she has had to um, negate a certain element of that. And I think, you know, the, the political commentary I hope we're making is that you see that she struggles uh, just like any woman in 2019 with maintaining her power, but also um, figuring out how to define her femininity. And um, yeah, certainly in 12, I felt that what's, what's fun is like you kind of get to play the imagination game when it comes to you may call me mother to arriving on discovery in 12, mm-hmm. um, which I certainly, I certainly did. <laughs> I certainly came up with what could have been going on. I mean, I think she has been so dedicated to um, the cause as she always is at the end of the day, she always chooses um, the larger, the larger whole and sacrifices for that. Um, but I think she's been so preoccupied that then, you know, we get to then get this other glimpse of her being completely taken aback by the fact that she's seeing someone that she thought she would never see again. Um, and I do think it's interesting that she does ultimately, I feel, release Tyler fully. Because even though they, she doesn't kill him uh, in three as she makes the Klingons believe, I don't feel like they were able to have a real moment of... Um, goodbye a very like calm goodbye like if Giorgio was there they're like you know kind of throwing everything together very quickly I thought that this was a really lovely moment for them to at least um look each other in the eye and kind of recognize what a crazy journey it's been (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and uh and yeah I mean tying back into the question about the thing that has stayed stayed true for her uh, which is, I think, ultimately her her sense of empathy and heart, and um, but yeah, I mean the 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 twist of Tanavik is very interesting as well. I do appreciate the moment with Pike when they find out his name. Um, it was just a moment that also allowed her a certain amount of closure um, in regards to the son, because I think it certainly must have weighed on her heart that um, she had let him go for everyone's betterment. But um, to find out so soon that your son actually has turned into a, like (laughs) a fine young man (laughs) is kind of this lovely unexpected gift that like, Oh, he's going to be okay. And Tyler's going to be okay. And ultimately I'm going to be okay. Um, which is an interesting moment to have near the end of this series when obviously kind of everything else is culminating towards something much crazier. Like as, as you know, the AI is imminent and all this other sort of stuff that at least part of the journey is getting some sense of, of peace. It, I mean, I feel like sending your kid to a time crystal monastery is a great childcare <laughs> solution. <laughs> But very true, very true. <laughs> it does bring to mind, though, the conversation that Laurel and Giorgio have in Point of Light in episode three, where Giorgio tells her, you know, having a lover is a liability, having a child is a liability. And I think mm. it's interesting that that's being depicted on screen now for women in power. Because I remember stories of uh, when Voyager started, you know, in the 90s, of how they couldn't let Janeway have a romance. 
because that would mm. undermine her power. So it's mm. it's bringing it to screen now. But I guess when do we get past that? Because we're – I'm going to take it political, so brace yourselves. Mm-hmm. We're, we're looking yeah. at, you know, an upcoming <laughs> political race with a lot of women entering the race for a Democratic nominee. And mm-hmm. – I feel like we're we're mirroring that in some aspects with with discovery and Laurel being told that having a life is a liability to her position. Mhm. Yeah, I'm 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 glad you brought that up because I I absolutely agree and I think I've also viewed her journey within the Klingon Empire as a way to explore that um, in a different way because Starfleet is the ideal you know the hope is that we have moved past a lot of what we're dealing with currently um, and so you know Laurel is this great way to to grapple with that um, and I think that yeah and, and then of course then with Giorgio I mean the, these are the two women that have experienced a like non-Starfleet um view of women <laughs> at this as, mm-hmm. at this point in the timeline and obviously you're seeing you know a lot of changes going on with Giorgio as well this season um and i think that yeah i i mean the, the, the that's part of the 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 heartbreak for for me both as a viewer and then as the actor imbuing life into laurel is that girl can't catch a break <laughs> 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 and uh but that's so much about the societies that that she's in and um i think you know the the device of using colshaw as this like very very archetypal archetypal patriarch is you know that's the point of these stories is i've, I've said it time and time again on practically every panel or thing i've been on but is that sci-fi is our modern mythology in so many ways and and we get to explore these themes um by having a character um, like Coleshaw, who can embody all that the patriarchy feels like today. You know, it's like you can't do anything right. He's just there to undermine whatever Laurel tries to put forth. Like it doesn't, you know, they're looking for, oh, whoever's around her. And it is the way in which we the way in which we over-scrutinize every candidate, I mean, male or female, but certainly on the female level. And I've been hypersensitive to that for a long time. And And the way in which I think there's also an interesting l- lack of empathy or or there's just not enough empathy for the women who have had to traverse so much in an, in earlier eras you know that that women coming through the political scene yes are going to have a lot of flaws and mistakes in their past because they were gr- dealing with a society that was really trying to keep them down and so, you know, unfortunately, and I certainly feel like this is the case for Laurel, is that like, they have, these women have made choices that in an ideal setting, of course they wouldn't make. <laughs> but because they, that was what they were told was the only way to survive, that was what they chose. And so I hope it's almost a cautionary tale in that regard, that it allows us to be, oh, we don't want that. We don't want to force our, our women leaders to have to make those sorts of choices. We don't want our leaders to feel like they have to cut off their lover and their child, literally. <laughs> like, that's not, that's not what we hope for. We hope that we can celebrate a fully fleshed out female character or fully fleshed out female in the real world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it sounds like, um, you know, you don't see the loss that Laurel has gone through as being something that will, will necessarily make her more hardened, but maybe make her more even have even deeper empathy for mm. others. Hmm. That's, I, that's, yeah, I like, I like that uh, idea. I think, yes, I think certainly in the journey of, of 12 for me, what I felt coming in and there was actually, I, there, I did, there was, I came in in the transporter room and unfortunately I think for time that, that got cut. It was not a, a big moment. I just, you know, appeared in the transporter room and then Tyler was there and I kind of really ignored him in that moment. Like Pike's there and he's like, welcome. And I'm like, thanks. And then just like walk past Tyler. And um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that certainly that was like in in building an arc for the episode it was that she was initially like scared out of her mind because you know it's, it's like oh hey uh the 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 two things that you said you would never see again and that if are found out will could cost you the entire empire are now back in your life so i think she's trying to embody that and i'm sure when she gets back on the d7 she's like all right everyone back in line you know like very i think she embodies it when she has to but um I think what I find delicious about all these sorts of um, these particularly queen like characters or, or, or women that, you know, have to um, embody a certain um, archetype externally is that what we love about the stories we see about them is seeing the other side. And I do love like uh, Elizabeth, the film, you know, that you see that they come from so much and that while the history books weren't necessarily writing about that part of their life, um, it was definitely there. Um, so I think, yeah, when it comes to Hularel is truly deeply, um, I think that she is still, you know, very soft. Um, but she's also willing to, I mean, she's so much stronger than me because she's a Klingon. Like that, oh, that actually reminds me of uh, Kenneth Mitchell, who is also, I should say, uh, the other person who's, willing to endure prosthetics <laughs> brilliantly i might add um but he asked me uh when we were heading into the third episode he's like so would it have changed your performance if um you had known laurel had this child that she had you know <laughs> uh raised ex utero or like you know had left you know throughout the whole because that's the whole second journey of season one is i have i am aware of the fact that i had this child and I said, you know, I probably would have leaned into it too much as Mary, because Mary would be so distraught. But Laurel is innately stronger than I am in that regard. And she's far more willing to um, endure in a certain way. Like, I'm willing to endure the makeup to breathe life into her. And she's willing to endure actual life circumstances that are insane. <laughs> and so um, in that regard, I think... I just really feel that, yeah, I've learned how, um, how tenacious she is and how, um, yeah, tough and, and yet soft. I just think, you know, I'd say it time and time again, but it's, I think it's far more interesting when all of our characters are able to embody both sides of that. Excellent. Do we have any more questions about Laurel? Oh man, I just have so much. I'm so much thoughts I'm chewing <laughs> on right now. That was yeah. that was really amazing. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I'm having just an information <laughs> overload over this one character. Dude, the, the, this is just like, welcome to my brain. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> well, given the uh, opportunity, uh, would you be interested in exploring another alien species, a la Susie Plaxon or Jeffrey Combs? Yes, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like and Susie Plaxon, who's also, I believe, a fellow six foot tall woman. Um, I think I saw that. Yeah, right. And obviously, I love all of the characters she played, and she's awesome. Um, but absolutely, I mean, the the gift already of Laurel is when when I was in school, I was always playing these. Well, not always, but quite often playing extreme characters in one way or the other, transforming. I was playing older women I was playing men I was playing never never an alien but creature like you know and uh you know it's so my wheelhouse to transform and so the fact that I was able to play Laurel who is innate like you just it's like you know a side-by-side picture and it's like oh Mary has transformed into this character um so it's such a great gift already as an actor to have that on my resume but um I think it's absolutely delicious that there is this tradition in Trek to um, have their um, actors play multiple roles because, you know, it, it makes it so fun because you're either you are on the inside and know who all the actors are and know that it, that it's that actor, like case in point when Ken, you know, came back as his father and then coming back as our son. Um, <laughs> but if you're just a viewer watching the show and aren't into doing the deep dive, then you hopefully, if the actor is doing a good job, aren't even aware of the fact um, that you're seeing the same actor play a different role. So um, it's a fun challenge and I just, I would love it. And I do, I mean, like I have certain aliens that I've always been fascinated by. I really am very fascinated by the, by Trill. Like I just, it's just such an interesting uh, concept. And um, I think, uh, you know, just case in point being an actor and like wanting to embody multiple personalities and multiple, you know, life experiences in one body. That's like literally (laughs) being a troll (laughs) (laughs) and of course the the markings are so beautiful but you know I would just you know and it is fun because I forget too how much I technically don't look like Laurel Uh, I mean because in my mind I see the similarities and it is designed somewhat after my features but I know if you're not looking for it there, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily look like me. Like I've, well, I've had the funny experience now of being at a convention where I've one day met someone who's been in full costume and, and makeup. And then they come up to me the next day and have to reintroduce themselves. And I'm like, oh, that's what people, okay. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, because in my mind, I'm just like, no, I feel like I look kind of, and then I have to be like, no, Mary, you, you see yourself in her because you're empathetic, but doesn't really look like you. <laughs> Fantastic. Is there anything we didn't touch on that you'd like to share? Um, You know, it's funny because I am looking, I, I told you I had all this, my writings and stuff. So I kind of just like pulled them out before we started talking and we've already touched on this a, a bit, but to say it more, I guess, succinctly is 
yeah, I feel like this is a good summary of, of our whole conversation. Um, <laughs> if I may be so bold. Um, but this idea, playing an alien specifically in a human-centric story has been really informative to me um, as, as, as a human, but as, as a performer, because we're always, you know, trying to give voice to, um, you know, every, every side of the story. Um, but what I found is, as I talked to, like, her being so, so foreign and yet humanoid, like the fact that there's enough humanoid quality to the, the Klingons that we tend to want to just judge her on human standards. But you have to take a step back and go, wait a minute, she's grown up in a society that is not like ours. Their standards are different. Whether they be right or wrong is up for debate. But because I had to really go in there and understand why she made the choices she did, that was part of why I really wanted, you know, to defend her even when I couldn't was because in my mind, it was like, yes, well, from this society and the way she's been treated and the way she's been taught and like the, the you know, sh- the, the Messiah that she grew up following, like this is what she had to do um, according to her culture. And I think while I've are, are, I'm a very, you know, liberal minded person who's very much for the rights of all, um, I think it has just only augmented that for me when it comes to fighting for, for equality is that I've seen how people can easily uh, diminish those who do not act and talk or look like them. And uh, that's been really, really neat. And something that I didn't quite see coming the way, the way it did. Cause I think when, when it's an alien, people can be more um, rude, honestly, like they, because it's like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's sci-fi, it's an alien, like, why they talk so funny, why they look so weird. But if you said that about someone in, in the world, that would be, you know, terrible. Um, so it's just been a really interesting exposure in that regard. Um, that I just, you know, I did, I have a, a deep obsession with Wicked. It was like the show that changed my life. Uh, and I did do, um, uh, for my eighth grade, uh, um, a talent show, I got a group of people together and we did, uh, what is this feeling? The song. And so (laughs) crazy, of course, overly ambitious. Mary's like for the talent show, I'm going to grab like six of my friends plus my friend playing Glinda and choreograph an entire, like it was very, very. Like, why didn't I just sing, like, The Wizard and I? But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I did paint myself green uh, for that. And I, um, we had, a like, a dress rehearsal during the day. And so I painted myself green for that because they needed to see how the, they would light the green. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep the makeup on for the rest of the day. And. I walked around and went to all my classes and people really like obviously reacted to the fact that I had a green face and um, it's experiences like that. And why I'm so grateful for characters like Elphaba and hopefully, you know, Laurel and so many of the great female characters that are being, um, you know, created and, and displayed more and more now. Um, It allows us all to feel empowered in our uniqueness and, 
you know, I just think that it, it, it just, we need more and more of it because you never know which character is going to resonate with, you know, whatever young woman is, is, is looking or young man. Um, but it, that, it, it, it has been fun to have come from that, having been so inspired by a character who was in many ways ridiculed because of her external nature uh, to then be actually playing one. So it's, it's been neat. And I hope I get to keep in one form or another embodying women who are misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're all for that. It's our bread and butter right there. (laughs) Can you tell us you probably the answer is no. Is Laurel back for season three? <laughs> oh, I can't say. That's and what I figured. I, yeah. <laughs> my my favorite Klingon phrase, which is I will not reveal military secrets. <laughs> um, well, the- theoretically, if you were, is there like a particular character you'd like to have more scenes with that we haven't really seen you interact mm, with that much? Yes. Uh, many. But... Um, I really, when it comes to her her full journey, um, I think that there's more room for Burnham and Laurel to talk. I would really, because Tyler and Laurel talk a lot and Burnham and Tyler talk a lot and that's good. And obviously there's a mutual respect between the two of them already. And, and I was glad that, you know, we had some sort of um, reconciliation at the end of the first season. Um, but I just think that there's a lot of room for those those women to talk, and I I just like as as a viewer, I really respect um, their strength separately, and so I'd like to see, you know, it would be really neat to see how they could learn and grow from each other even more. Now, are there any final thoughts you would like to leave us with, <laughs> or our listeners? Uh, so I mean, I as is evidence, I have many thoughts. <laughs> um. Well, I'm trying to think. Well, I just, I mean, I will say that I'm, I'm just really thrilled that I did get to speak with you guys because I think what you guys are doing is, is, is really exciting. And I really, before, I guess last year, um, I was, I listened to so many of, of your podcasts and I just really am excited to hear such intelligent conversations being had. And I think it's, what's important is the balance between, um, enjoying something, but also being able to be critical of it and be able to, you know, envision how we could, can keep improving. And that's certainly what I hope for in regards to this franchise is that we are hopefully, it seems like we're in this time of re-expansion. And my hope is that, you know, this community will just keep building and thriving and that more and more, you know, there will be because of social media and, everything is there is such a symbiotic relationship between the fans and and um the creators and i just really hope that we just keep building this awesome team and and ultimately um the stories will just continue to to be fleshed out even more and and yeah so thanks for your passion because how do you say oh shucks and click on we say no such things <laughs> <laughs> my heart just grew three sizes <laughs> i will say thank you in klingon is cut which 
they jokingly say in whatever book that it's they have it they're like this is a rarely used term in Klingon culture uh, <laughs> but I did really love it is I do say it to evoke in episode four of the first season in our little romantic dilithium processor scene uh, and I always liked that because I thought it really was a testament to the intimacy of their relationship so I do like using that term as Mary Tatlo. <laughs> Yay. Yes. Well, that <laughs> word, that. <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. This was fantastic. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you for asking. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> That was such a fantastic talk we had with Mary. Um, again, so excited that she was able to join us and and so happy to bring that conversation to all of you. So that is it for us today. Jarrah, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin or at TrekkieFeminist.com. And Grace? You can find me on Twitter at BoneCrusherJank. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at womenatwarp. And for more, (laughs) damn it. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. The Roddenberry Podcast Network. Podcast.roddenberry.com.